You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Have you heard of hip dysplasia? It might be something one of your friends experienced with their baby, or perhaps you had a child with it as well. Up to one in every 50 babies are being treated for hip dysplasia in Australia currently. Many parents have never even heard of the condition until the diagnosis, and they're left overwhelmed and a bit bewildered. Over the past few years, late late diagnosis of the condition has increased. And while not life-threatening, it can be life-changing. Sarah Toomey is a mum of two and the founder of Healthy Hips, a not-for-profit organisation in Australia that offers support and education to those affected by hip dysplasia. And she joins us to explain more. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm well, Siobhan. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, Now, I've left it up to you to explain what hip dysplasia is. Could you do that for us, please? Sure. Look, hip dysplasia is a condition where the ball and the socket of the hip joint don't fit together in their normal position, and that can be due to abnormal development of the joint or a lack of growth of the joint. It sounds painful. Does it hurt the child? No. So as best as we know, hip dysplasia doesn't cause any pain for infants. Obviously, if it's not diagnosed and it's caught later on in life, in in later childhood or into teens and early 20s, the biggest presentation, though, is pain. So it's something that we're trying to circumnavigate by diagnosing it early. When I, both with both my children, I seem to remember the um, hospital paediatrician coming around and checking their hips. Does this not happen everywhere? Look, yes. The recommendation is that um, all children, regardless of risk factors, get the physical hip checks at birth. But hip dysplasia is developmental. So it might not necessarily be present or problematic at birth. And so what the recommendation is, is that these physical hip checks actually are carried out ongoing throughout a child's infancy. So we're recommending at birth and then again at six weeks of age, six months, 12 months, and then at the normal health checks thereafter in case it is something that obviously becomes an issue. Do we know why 2% of babies or 1 in 50 in Australia present with those systems? Is it pretty consistent globally? Look, so the... It's an interesting one, actually. So when um, a newborn um, comes out, due to the relaxant um, hormone, about one in six babies actually have some instability of the hip joint. But it's not that high in terms of how many actually need treatment. In the world, the global average is around about four to five per thousand In Western Australia, we're seeing 20 per thousand, um, and that's where you get the one in 50 from. And then in South Australia, they're seeing one in 150. So Hmm. it varies a lot, and a lot of people say, why? Like, why is there so much inconsistency? And I think one of the things that people need to remember is that it's a scaling um, condition. So it can go from mild dysplasia where the hip ball and socket just isn't quite well shaped or or covered, the ball isn't quite within the socket and there's not a nice cup for it to sit in, all the way through to the hip being fully dislocated. So in some places they treat the milder spectrum, other cases they might choose to wait and see and see if it resolves itself. So we do get a bit of um, variance there, but it's a much more common condition than a lot of people realise. 
You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Sarah Toomey, who's the founder of Healthy Hips. We're talking about dysplasia, which affects up to one in 50 babies currently in Australia. And we're talking about what the condition is. And um, I'm wondering, Sarah, I seem to remember um, children I know, uh, babies that I've known needing to wear um, almost a cast on their legs is that how dysplasia is treated? Yes. So depending on the severity of the hip dysplasia and the age that the um, child is diagnosed at, the first option, obviously, is to use the least invasive treatment option, and that's a harness or a brace. So a lot of children wear a little soft harness called a pavlik harness, and there's a few variations across Australia. And that um, goes over the shoulders and it holds the legs up and out in a little frog-like position. If the hip dysplasia is more, um, uh, more severe, shall I say, or, or completely dislocated the ball and socket, then that's when they might need to have surgery and be put into a spiker cast. And that goes from their chest all the way down their legs, down to their feet, and again held out in a frog-like position. So it's it's quite an overwhelming situation for, for mum and dad to watch and also for the, the child going through it at the time. So what you're describing there sounds like it can be treated and that children, I guess, for want of a better word, will be, be cured so that their their hips are working in a healthy fashion. Um, you mentioned earlier that if it's not diagnosed, that it can lead to pain as they get older. Um, does that sort of pain inhibit the way, obviously we don't want any of our kids to have that kind of experience. Does it impact on the way they work, walk or and can it be treated once they get to that stage of life where it's been left so long they are feeling pain? Great question. It's a condition that is best caught and diagnosed early and by early we say zero to three months of life is when they're going to have the most favourable outcome using um, the least invasive treatment option being those harnesses which are usually worn for around about three months of life. It varies a little bit from child to child. Sometimes the more severe cases um, or again as the child gets older before diagnosis then they are going to be more likely to have um, ongoing surgical intervention. Hip dysplasia is the most common cause of hip arthritis in adults and um, it does have a huge impact on quality of life. And like you said in the introduction, it's not life-threatening, but it can certainly be life-changing. And we get many stories from people who uh, weren't diagnosed, um, they got diagnosed in their late teens or early 20s, and they're now living with this chronic pain condition. It impacts on how um, active they are. Many people, it impacts on all facets of their day-to-day life, being able to um, you know, run after their children, being able to work. Some people have even found that for them, um, because they're waiting and, I guess, stretching out how long it takes before they might need a hip replacement, um, that they're really in a holding pattern it's been dictated by the hip dysplasia until um, they end up potentially having to have you know, their hip replaced um, as early as in their 20s and 30s, which is um, really quite an eye-opener for people when they realise that um, this childhood condition, if left untreated, um, and in some cases when it's just stubborn and it doesn't respond, can have such a huge impact on people's lives. Now, if... Um 
you mentioned that what you'd like to see is those continual checks through infancy that, um, as far as I'm aware, are not mandatory at the moment. Is there a way of parents knowing or suspecting that their child might have a, a problem with their hips and then themselves taking them to get checked? That's what we're really trying to promote is, as I guess, arming parents with the knowledge about the condition. So the things that we really would love people to know about is the risk factors. So um, the most common risk factors is more, it's more common in females. It's more common in firstborn. Family history and being breech um, are the two biggest and strongest risk factors. So we don't want every firstborn female running out, um, getting their hips checked or mum running out to get them checked, assuming that they definitely would have the condition. Um, but they're the things to be mindful of. The other big risk factor, which is an environmental one, is swaddling of the legs down and straight together. So swaddling is fantastic, but just make sure that um, the tightness of the swaddle is up over the arms where it's, it's needed to be able to provide security and comfort, but that the legs are free to move in and out of the frog-like position. Um, and then signs and symptoms. Obviously, if parents know what to look out for, obviously then that can um, help them to start that conversation with their GP or child health nurse. And so what, what are those signs and symptoms that they need to look out for? So the biggest signs and symptoms is... Um, the click or the clunk when moving the hip. Now, we all have kind of clicks and pops. What the clunking noise is is, is actually when the hip ball is loose in the socket and it's moving in and out, so it's almost like dislocating in and out. There'll be a bit of a, a clunking sound as it moves. That, looking at um, more so for parents, so a really easy one um, that's a strong indicator is if they're trying to change their child's nap and they have a lot of trouble spreading their legs apart or one leg will spread right out and flop out to the side but the other leg, the hips, it feels like they've got tight muscles in around their hip joint. That's a really strong indicator that something's happening. Some of the, I guess, what we call weaker signs is... Um, different um, number of creases down the thighs. So all our babies have got beautiful chubby thigh creases and some of them have got multiple creases. Now, it's not to say if they've got, you know, five on one side and four on the other that that says that that's hip dysplasia, but it can be in some cases a sign. So it's being able to put together multiple signs and symptoms, being able to look at is there a difference in their leg length um, so one leg's shorter than the other. And then as they get older, if it's been missed, what they might notice is once their child gets to weight-bearing age is that they might be walking on a tippy toe on one foot but on flat foot on the other side, and that's that leg length difference. So being able to know those signs and symptoms um, and, and just going to their GP and child health nurse and talking about them and seeing whether or not there is um, a reason for it to be investigated further. Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. That's Sarah Toomey from Healthy Hips Australia. If you'd like to have, if you have more questions about hip dysplasia and want to know more, we'll put the link up on their website. But I just want to reiterate, it sounds like something we need to look out for and be careful of, but you don't need to worry, especially when they're young. It sounds like it's something that can definitely be corrected. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.